to head on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome back to the Stateside Soccer Show. I am Jordan Wiegand. You just heard our awesome new intro, which included my good friend and Orlando City Soccer Club season ticket holder, Logan Stump. How's it going? This is great. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> How about it's that like British a, guy? <laughs> yeah, I know he's he's amazing too. Can you believe that? I can't believe that we hit, that you're such a good uh, you know impersonator, Jordan. I can't. Oh, believe, you know no, what though? I actually did record <laughs> one trying it, and I was like, I have to get the right. professional because you can tell it's me, and you can tell it's awful. Um. <laughs> So what we're going over today here is a beginner's guide for Major League Soccer before the 2021 season starts, if it starts with the CBA talks. We'll figure that out. At the day of that we're recording, it's January 30th, so I'm not sure when we're releasing this, but um, if it's after CBA talks conclude, then uh, you'll know more than we do right now. So... <laughs> um, but first, Logan, just kind of give us an introduction to yourself, maybe how you, uh, for people that don't follow our main show, uh, what made you decide Orlando City, what made you decide to become a season ticket holder, and what made you decide to start following MLS more thoroughly this season? Hello, I'm Logan Stump. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I think uh, it, it all started back in 2015. So I had gotten into soccer, uh, World Cup. Uh, and that was 2014. 2012, 2014. Okay. I can't even remember. I've got election dates and all sorts of things in my head. Um, so 2014, I get into it. Um, and, and, you know, I had been watching soccer for a little bit. And then as I started to look around, I was like, you know what? I, I think watching domestic, you know, MLS uh, would be a lot of fun. And then in 2015, when Orlando City became the 21st franchise, uh, it, you know, having lived in Orlando in 2013 with you guys, which is how we met in the Disney college program. Um, I, I just got interested in, you know, how can I watch a, a team that I could possibly live in the city in the future? Cause it was definitely on my mind. Then when I was starting to watch soccer again, that I'd be moving back down to Orlando. If I'd not already decided, uh, right, so your I, program, I just, your second program yeah. was 2015. Uh, same right. as mine. Right. So I think in 2014 I had an, I had the inkling I was going back. I think at that point I had decided, you know, I, I think after college, I'm just going down to Orlando because I loved, you know, living down here around the parks. 
And plus, when they announced this soccer team, I said, you know what? It'd be cool to have a team in a city that I live in so that I could support them because I, I'd never lived in a city and I lived in Charleston, South Carolina most of my, my life. So I didn't really have a team. I got the follow. battery. Only, yeah, the battery. yeah, the battery are there, uh, which I, I did see a game. I think back when I was a little kid, we went um, not with my parents, but I think with like it was like a birthday party or something, if I can remember correctly. I don't remember much about it. Yeah. Uh, and I actually had a kid I went to high school with that uh, was the goalie for the battery for a little bit, which was pretty really? cool. But That's yeah, awesome. Robert Beebe, it's pretty cool. Uh, we played basketball together and he was much better goalie. Uh, and he'd been touted as one of the best goalies. He played at South Carolina, uh, but it was pretty cool. It, you know, living in a city and, and having at least a professional, you know, a semi-professional sports team, which, you know, they tried basketball teams like minor basketball teams uh, that would play in like the G League, but it never worked out. But then, you know, moving to Orlando, I was like, this is a perfect opportunity. So in 2015, I started to follow it. Uh, I remember watching the expansion draft and they were on the phone, like the little conference call uh, phone. It was so cool to watch. Uh, It was weird because, you know, I'd been a city fan. So I was a Man City fan and I had the opportunity to go with New York City because that's their football club uh, over here in the States, the city football group. But I decided that I'd go with Orlando because I knew I'd be moving down here in this area. So it all worked out. And then, you know, I I kept up with it some, but not nearly as much as I'd liked. And it, it always fell during baseball season. So I was much more into baseball. So I, it kind of just went by the wayside. And I would kind of follow it sometimes, but not really adamantly until I guess the MLS is back tournament. I, it really, you know, I, I was so interested. And I think because we'd been starved for sports, I was like, I got to get back into some kind of sport. And this was like the first thing to come back full fledged. So it was like, all right, this is pretty cool. And then I watched it and the talent had changed so much from when I, you know, started watching in 2015 because I had, hadn't really kept up with as much. And, it, the, you know, the pace of play had changed so much. The players, uh, you know, they're getting a lot better. I, it, it's become a great place for youth players to play. And that's how I got my that's how I got my interest into it. And, and of course, talking to you, I was like, you know, what? this is a perfect time to join the podcast because I know. It's not easy to do with one person, especially when there's as many teams as there are in the MLS. So, yeah, that's that's how I got started. And now I'm a season ticket holder. I can't wait to go you know, watch these games when they get started, hopefully. So. Good to have you. Yeah, I mean, uh, so people may know that, you know, I started following MLS. Uh, I went to MLS Cup in 2007, actually. They had it in D.C. And it was the uh, that was back when they did neutral sites uh kind of trying to make it like the super bowl and halftime shows um so jimmy eat world was the <laughs> halftime show in 2007 <laughs> and uh and it was uh the revolution versus the dynamo where uh so i saw taylor twelman play dynamo won uh the revs have yet to win their mls cup after like four appearances they're pretty much the bills of uh of mls <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're getting there then they're getting there yeah, yeah. They just need a real Josh Allen now, I guess. Um, but, uh, you know, I went to some super drafts. Uh, 2008, I went to the super draft in Baltimore uh, where they held it because they always used to hold it with the National Soccer Coaches Association meeting that they had. And wherever that was is where they would put the uh, where they would put the uh, uh, the super draft. So they had in the Baltimore uh harbor i think i it was you know it's always on a weekday so i think my dad took me out of school for it uh and we went down to 
the super draft. Um, I have a shirt from it still actually that I got there and I got to see like, you know, like Lexi Lawless walking around. I think Twelman was walking around. Um, I didn't get to meet them, but, uh, you know, doing their media stuff, just walking past them on the stairs. It's very different than if you go to like an NFL draft, I would think, because those places have such higher security. Those are more famous people that I think what I like about MLS right now is with it being such like a more niche sport in or like a niche league anyway, is that the, the approachability um, after the union loss and open cup final, I just walked up to Jimmy Conrad who used to play for uh, the U S men's team. And he used to play for uh, Kansas city when they were the wizards. And he was there because uh, sporting Kansas city was uh, in the final with the union. And I just saw him as I was leaving the, leaving the stands. And I just yelled like Jimmy Conrad. And he looked <laughs> at me and I walked over. He was like, Hey man, how's it going? I think he thought I was going to give him some shit because <laughs> I, I was in my union gear you know what i'm saying so i think he thought i was gonna like say something bad but i was like oh that was a good effort by you know kansas city and i was like i'm a big fan can i take a picture he let me take a picture and uh it's great he's he's fun to follow on twitter if people don't follow him jimmy conrad is always making some good content um but uh so so like it's that kind of part of it that makes me feel like you know how mls is right now and i do at one point dread for when it is the biggest league in the world at times because i i think they might lose some of that approachability but anyway uh at the 2008 super draft the sons of ben which is the union supporters were there and they were um like chanting and kind of uh you know trying to get a team they were trying to get a team in philadelphia and uh, they did award one, I think, later that year to Philadelphia. Uh, I think it was 2008. And they started playing 2010. And, you know, that's like 90 minutes away from my house. Um, and I thought, OK, now that I'm paying more attention to it, I think it might be best to jump in on a team that's entering the league. It is closer than D.C. as well. My dad is a D.C. fan because he's been following, you know, MLS since like 96 when it started. So uh, I thought, hey, I'll just get in at the bottom here and, you know, this will be my team. And I still hold the concession, though, that if there is ever a Baltimore team, I am jumping to that because I do believe in supporting your local club uh, that's closest to you. Um, so uh, I think that's a no brainer for me. I, I would love to have a Baltimore team. If anybody wants to bring a Baltimore team to USL or MLS, I have a good name too. Just name it Charm City SC or something. You know, like I'm tired of these always being SC or FC or United's, but I think if it's different name than the actual city name, like it's not just Baltimore FC, I think it would would be cool. And you know, Baltimore's nickname is Charm City. I think that would be a really cool soccer club name. Um, but anyway, uh. So then I started following, you know, the union in 2010. And since then, you know, I've been to a lot of matches, been to every home playoff game that they've had, except for this year because of COVID. Um, been to the two U.S. Open Cup finals they ha had there uh, and never got to see them lift a trophy. Um, is You know, I couldn't make it to the Supporter Shield match on decision day because of COVID and stuff like that. So, uh but but it, the future's looking bright, and and I'm excited for this season. I'm excited to have a co-host uh, on here, and the main part of this uh, show here is to break down any sort of questions Logan has for me here. 
about the structure or just general questions about Major League Soccer as he starts to turn his attention to uh, a greater focus on it. So, Logan, give me give me a question. Any question you got, throw it at me here. All right. So I, I you know, looking through uh, different tweets and stuff that have been happening over the last couple of months, and especially recently, because I, I did see Twelman starting to talk about the different things that are happening with uh, money and, and getting players in this transfer window and different things like that. And when you're talking about MLS, it's a lot different than Premier League. So I just wanted, you know, one of the basic questions I had, what, I mean, what is general allocation money? Because that's something that, that seems to be going around that, I, you know, it's hard to understand as Premier League, especially when your club uh, in the Premier League just buys people at will. and There's not really any kind of help from leagues. So that, that always confused me as to what that was. Yes, uh, this is a good question because, uh, and I'll say probably most uh, fans that are casuals are not going to worry about general allocation money. They're not going to worry about the other allocation monies that the league has because, you know, they just kind of show up and support the team. But I think it's important if you're listening to a podcast uh, or if you're going to be on the podcast, I guess. Um, you know, we're going to be talking about some of these trades, and a lot of this stuff is showing up in trades, you know, general allocation money. We call that GAM. <laughs> uh, we shorten it to GAM. We don't call it G-A-M. Uh, it, we, just, we just call it GAM. And uh, it's money. Th- Here's the official definition from the league, by the way. And then I'll kind of break it down from there. Money that is available to a club in addition to its salary budget. So each MLS club receives an annual allotment of GAM. And in 2016, that allotment was $150,000. That's when they first introduced GAM, I believe, was 2016. Uh, And sometimes it goes up with new CBAs and stuff like that. Sometimes that stuff is negotiated as up. So they have the salary cap. That's one of the big different things here between our league uh, in America and um, you might ask why do you have a salary cap and there was a famous league in the 1970s and 80s uh, called the NASL right that's where Pele came over and played Franz Beckenbauer came over and played Georgia uh, Giorgio Canalia played uh, at the Cosmos uh, Ray Hudson uh, who does Sirius XM radio work and Barcelona games on BN Sports. Uh, you know, he played in, uh, in, I think it was, where was he at then? I think it was somewhere in Florida, maybe Fort Lauderdale, uh, that he played at. But uh, that league folded because they didn't really have like a salary cap. They just kept spending to bring big players over. And eventually teams just started folding. And it was at one point, you know, in the NASL where just teams were constantly like folding a new one would open up you know another team folds like they they barely were able to hang on and eventually the league folded and that really set us back as a soccer nation as well uh because when they fold it then until 1996 we had no top flight soccer in this country some of our national team players that made the 1994 world cup team you know were from uh just playing college ball you know, that's it. And then some of them would go overseas and play. So they started introducing MLS with salary caps, and then they've started introducing new things as new owners come in uh, that want to spend more. And 
as the league grows to get better talent here. And one of those things is general allocation money that can be outside of the salary cap to help bring uh, better players here. Um, So GAM, just like targeted allocation money, which we'll get to in a little bit, it can be used to buy down a player's salary cap hit. Um, So why they would want to use that is uh, there's things called designated players, which we'll get to as well. So this is going to be a cumulative addition here as we go up the definitions. You can buy some of those down with GAM to make them more affordable uh, and to kind of skirt some of the rules, I guess. But it's all legal because of the way that they set up the TAM and GAM. And this was introduced... I think most people think this was introduced for, uh, you know, the like LA Galaxy, right? LA Galaxy at one point had three domestic players. Uh, sorry, not domestic players, designated players. And wanted to bring over somebody else. And then they kind of instituted this GAM and TAM situation to help buy down that because the max you can have for a designated player is three. So then if you can have that same quality, but now it doesn't take up that spot, a team could technically have four DP quality players on their squad, but only three are counting towards that max. So that's what this stuff is kind of introduced for. Um, Some of this stuff is just used in trades as well. Like uh, the way that, and we'll get to this as well later, as these are all kind of intertwined here, but there's no like inner league transfers. You know, like how in England, Manchester United might want an Arsenal player. And they might, uh, I don't know why they would right now, but <laughs> but they might, right? And uh, they would pay, you know, like 20 million to the club, and then they would negotiate the salary with the player and just like normal, just like a normal transfer. That doesn't exist in MLS because this is a single entity league which means you know while they're all different clubs with different owners they're all like owned by mls in a sense uh so the way that that works then is there's trades and it used to be a lot more like okay we'll trade you this player for this player that's i feel like kind of starting to go out and it's a lot more we'll trade you this for either draft picks or we'll trade you this for more gam more TAM, or an international roster spot. And that's what uh, we're seeing with this. Like when Dom Dwyer went to Orlando, it was a lot of allocation money that got traded to Kansas City for Dwyer to come to Orlando. And uh, that's kind of the way that we're trending, I feel like. And it's almost like having transfers then because you're exchanging money for a player but it's money that you're able to build up. And if a team can build up enough gam, they can use this on players like, you know, like out the wazoo to get better quality players than uh, some of the other teams. Does that make uh, any sense? Yes. <laughs> it's kind of like, it, it almost sounds like the, like a credit card for players in a way. It, it seems like money that's allocated and then, you know, different reasons why they get the allocation money. But yeah, that makes sense. So they also put on here what you can use the general allocation money for. So let's let's break this down here. To sign a player new to MLS, that's number one. 
player did not play in the MLS in the previous season, you can bring them over with general allocation money. You can also use it to re-sign an existing MLS player. You can use it to offset acquisition costs like loan and transfer fees. And in connection with the extension of a player's contract for the second year, provided that the player was new to MLS in the previous year. And you can also use it to reduce the salary budget charge of a designated player to a limit of 150k. Um, a, additionally, last rule here for GAM, a club cannot use it to reduce more than 50% of a player's salary cap hit. Um, but they may reduce 100% of a loan or transfer fee with it. So that's another reason why you might see people building up GAM. Uh, again, it, this is all kind of fluff. I, I Like a lot of times when it says, you know, what the trade is for, it'll say it was for this much general allocation money to Orlando for this player or whatever. It's not as open. I guess like the league is not as open as like some teams, you know, some leagues are with other sports where you'll be like, oh, I know we have this much GAM. I know we have this much TAM. Oh, why do we use that so much? for? It's kind of like almost like hidden money at a point where you're never really going to be able to keep track of how much your team has when they make these trades and such, because uh, you just don't know. But uh, next question. Yeah, so then you were talking about, I'm guessing it's called TAM. Uh, what, you know, what's yep. the difference between <laughs> those two? <laughs> yeah, TAM is targeted allegation money, which we just talked about in the other uh, one here. Uh, this came in in 20, or it was announced in 2015. So maybe that's when they started. I'm not sure. They were introduced around the same time. These are funds uh, that the league def des uh, defines here. These are funds that are strategically provided by the league to teams to add or retain players that will make an immediate impact on the field. So, uh, so the way that they, uh, let's see, each team originally back in 2015 received 100,000 in TAM per year for the next five years. And then in 2016, it increased to 800,000 a year. And then in 2017, 1.2 million a year. And uh, like 2.8, it looks like for maybe 2018, 2019. Um. The way that the league breaks down here is in order to use TAM on a player, the player must earn more than the maximum budget charge, which in 2017 was 480000 I'm not sure what it is now. So that was like the max that you would have been able to have giving a salary for a player, right? Before that. That was not a designated player. Designated players, as we'll get to here, had their own set of rules, and I'll explain why they did. But uh, they used TAM then to be able to bring in like DP quality players, like I said in the last question, without, um, without having to lose one. You know, like if, it, if some of the big teams, like the Galaxy at one point had, you know, all three designated players trying to bring in more quality like that when they were a good team. And they would have to use TAM to buy those players down from what their DP salary would have been to, you know, like a more affordable salary 
using some of these discretionary funds like GAM and TAM. Um, clubs may also use a portion of all their available TAM to convert a designated player to a non-designated player, like I just said. This is how the league breaks it down. By buying down a salary to at or below the DP threshold, which is that 480K. Um, so uh, if TAM is used to free up a designated player slot, the club must simultaneously sign a new designated player at an investment equal or greater to the player he is replacing as a DP. So this is a way that what, what they're trying to do here is to make sure that if you have all three DPs and then you buy one down and now you only have two, they want you to replace that by going out and getting another one because they want they want the teams to spend these money. You know, they want the teams to spend this money to bring in better quality players to continue to increase the the play on the field is what this is. But also by not going crazy NASL levels in the 70s and going out of business. So that's what these discretionary funds uh, are for. Um TAM and GAM may not be used in combination when signing or re-signing a player. So you would either use TAM on one of them or you would use GAM, but you can't add up your TAM and GAM on one player. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that actually does. I, it's so weird because it's not its not like anything else that exists. It's, it's fascinating. No, it's not. <laughs> like You look at other sports and you're like, holy crap, like... I mean, the league giving money to the teams, obviously they do it through like TV rights and stuff, but they don't make this like an allocation to like, hey, here's some money, go spend it on some players to bring into the team that, you know, because a lot of leagues don't struggle as much as some of these clubs might. I mean, if they didn't have salary cap or they didn't have these allocations, you'd have a big variance between teams and things. So it makes sense why they do it. Right. And this kind of helps some of those smaller teams that might be in small markets be able to bring in some quality players as well. Um, next question, Logan. Yeah. So then you're talking about designated players. So obviously there's a limit of three, but, but I mean like who's been designated and, and how do they come up with that? What's the idea behind that? So designated players as the, as the website des- defines it, it allows clubs to acquire up to three players who total compensation and acquisition costs exceed the maximum salary budget charge. Um, Designate players may be new players signed to MLS via the allocation ranking list. So what that means, some players have to come through allocation ranking and it's almost like waiver claims, right? Like for baseball, when a player would get cut and then, you know, like, your ranking on the waiver, you know, if somebody else puts an offer in first, uh, then that's who gets it. That's kind of how it is for allocation. Now, players can also, uh, teams can trade their allocation spots as well to get, um, and usually these are used for like U.S. men's players coming back into the league. So like if a, um, like Josie Altador coming into the league, he should have been, I'm not sure if he was, because sometimes they make up, rules to fit whatever agenda they want. Um, (laughs) uh, So him and Bradley should have went through the allocation ranking list. Clint Dempsey probably should have, but I pretty sure Dempsey did not. Um, Or, you know, another club was at the top and then those teams trade it to get to the top of the allocation ranking list. 
Uh, also, they have a discovery prog- uh, process, which is just bullcrap, I guess you would say. Like, uh, like I'm sure there's some team out there that has a discovery claim on Messi, right? And it's not like you discovered Messi, but if they put this claim in, then that means they actually have the first right to get Messi if he was to come to MLS. But those don't hold a lot of weight. Usually teams will then trade them for Gam or Tam and... Uh, then the team that Messi wants to go to is the team he would go to. It's not going to, like, he's not going to get forced to go to, like, Cincinnati if Cincinnati said, oh, no, we discovered Messi. Like, no, you didn't. You put the claim in. He was discovered, you know, like, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. <laughs> um, This rule was created to bring David Beckham into MLS. Galaxy wanted Beckham. Beckham wanted to come here. The issue was he didn't fit into the salary cap. Uh, so MLS had to create this rule to bring David Beckham in. And one of those contracts, at least, I'm not sure if it was the first contract or when Beckham, if he re-signed, but that's what gave him a buy-in to an MLS franchise, which became Inner Miami, uh, for much cheaper than what the, he was locked in, I think for the hundred K a hundred million MLS franchise fee, which is now soaring up to like 300 million. So he got in on like a, on a bottom here, which was part of his reason, I think for coming over. But, uh, so what happened is he was, he was the first player signed under this. He signed a contract with the galaxy for up to 250 million over five years, which was 6.5 million a year for guaranteed compensation from MLS and galaxy. And if I'm not mistaken, when it comes to designated players and bringing players like Beckham over, I believe all of the owners pitch in to pay some of those transfer fees or some of those salaries because all of the it would help all of the owners if like a David Beckham comes into the league. Uh, so that's kind of another difference between designated players. Um, I think, I'm not 100% sure, I think originally you could only have one designated player. I'm not I'm not 100% sure on that since he was the first one. Um but you know eventually the rule has expanded to 3 and now a lot of teams have between 1 to 3 designated players and uh the quality since David Beckham has joined the league has just continued to exponentially climb due to that rule. I still think it's funny that teams can say they've got the discovery on Messi. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I that, found him. <laughs> yeah, I found him. Like, who I is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> this guy is nuts. So I'm so glad we've discovered him. I'm sure that the rest of Europe would have liked to have known about him. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it is ridiculous. And I wouldn't be surprised if at some point the discovery rights go away just because you will see teams like put one on Messi or Ronaldo and you don't really hear about it until those players try to come into the league. And then you're like, Oh, we found out that like Chicago has the discovery rights for Messi. So now Miami has to trade money to Chicago to get that discovery right. And then be able to sign them. Lord. So some so people, like, so some teams do just file claims because they know if another yeah. player is coming in, they're going to have to get money or something for it. <laughs> right. So now, like with designated players, are, are, I mean, is there a rule like in much of Europe, like homegrown and international? Like, are there 
specifics like they can't have this many or they need to have this many homegrown to be able to compete? Uh, there's no limit on home. There's no like bottom number for homegrowns. I don't think, uh, but there is like international roster spots. So if a player doesn't have a green card, they end up taking an international roster spot. The issue is teams can trade these international roster spots too. So again, it's very tough to know without like you, you really have to probably follow your team's like uh local reporter to figure out when they're talking about this stuff that says, Okay, well, they have like an international roster spot freed up, or you know, or you'd really have to track it because I don't think they post a lot of like, okay, we have like nine international roster spots right now, and we just trade it one. It's it's still very like behind doors in that regard. I feel like, uh, like I'm not sure if I can just go to the union's website and their roster. I mean, I know I can see on their roster who takes up a spot, but I don't know if I can ever know for sure, like who, um, how many we have, you know, after trades and stuff. Yeah, because like I'm on the Orlando City website on MLS, and it it doesn't have, like you said, it says international, but it doesn't have a specific number as to like these fall underneath the nine international spots you have on a roster. Um, it's the good thing marked. is if the good thing is if a player's here a while and they get a green card, they no longer take up an international roster spot, and then you're free to sign another international player. That seems crazy to me because I mean, like you would almost want to push all of your internationals at that point, then, right? I mean, like go get your green card so you can play here <laughs> without taking one of my spots up. Yeah, oh, that's man. true. But you know, I think it takes a bit to really get one of those. Um, like a get a green card. Yeah, it takes a while. And I think it's I mean it's it's a it's a huge process that takes I think two or three years over here at least. And some players will like uh you know kind of leave maybe the team before they get the green card and then if they come back I guess they reset. I'm not really sure how green cards work in America. But yes, there are international roster spots, there's homegrown spots. If there's you know, sometimes homegrown spots will. This is um, this is where it gets kind of complicated to where I'm even kind of out of my depth for some of this stuff. Um, let's see here. Let me just Google homegrown on uh, MLS website. So this rule for the homegrown player rule uh, was uh, instituted. Uh, when was this? It was not that long ago. Like some of these, um, you know, uh, academies are still very new uh, when it comes comes to um, to oh, so two thousand eight uh, is when that happened. Before then, every existing every player entering MLS would have had to have been assigned through either the allocation process, which I talked about, or the MLS Super Draft. So, you know, this is still only, what, 13 years later now that we really have academy, a way for players to come through an academy and be with one club. Uh, so that's uh, that's really kind of a turning point for MLS as well. Uh, so the MLS roster rules allow a team to sign players uh, to contracts 
uh, which do not count against the salary budget and may earn a much higher salary than the league minimum. Um, though they have since removed that wording from the rules. So who really knows how some of this stuff works? <laughs> um, but uh, to place a player on its homegrown list, making them eligible to sign as a homegrown player, they must have resided in the club's home territory and participated in the club's youth development system for at least one year. Interesting. And how, I mean, like how many, uh, I don't know if I ever asked this, but uh, you know, how many youth programs are out there? Cause I know that Orlando city just got their first like actual youth Academy. You know, they, they've deemed it, you know, to be one that is going to go forward, but like, are there, I mean, do all teams, obviously not all of them do cause they're all, you know, you got these expansion teams, but like, do they all have youth players? Uh, no, they do not. Um, I'm trying to find an exact number if I can, but I know for sure, or I'm pretty sure from the way that they've talked about it, is that Minnesota does not have a youth setup. Um, and in fact, Caden Clark, who is for the Red Bulls and came through their youth system, is actually from Minnesota. So that means he lived in New York for at least a year and represented the team in youth tournaments to be able to get signed as a homegrown player. Um, because Minnesota doesn't have an academy. So that's part of the problem. Um, I would say most of the expansion teams right now, like, uh, I, I think Austin does have one, because I think they just signed two homegrown players, actually. But um, Cincinnati, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't think that they would have one right now. Uh, Atlanta actually set one up like almost immediately after they got uh, like got the agreement to get into MLS because they did have some players that they've signed to homegrown deals uh, that you know started or played games in their rookie season so of 2018 you know when they entered the league or 2017 sorry so um yeah Andrew Carlton was actually. I remember when he was signed to their youth team and people were really high on him for the U S team. And he's just fallen off a cliff. He He's almost like a Breck Shea uh, light where he's just, it seems like he's more of a partier than wanting to actually play soccer. Um, <clears throat> so some of these are going to be bust. Uh, the union have very, you know, really put into the youth movement. And if you look at their roster on their website, it's just tons of homegrown players on there. So, um next question then i guess yeah i guess so we'll just stay along the same lines of like youth players because i know the super draft just happened and i was reading it i know i texted you about it i was like what in the world is this because uh, it sounds weird and i was like is there like a specific club that this company has or what's going on it's the what is generation adidas like what the heck is that uh, it, it almost sounds like the mcdonald's all-american thing but it was like what i don't i don't understand why they're making such a big deal out of this generation adidas yeah, so it's kind of like homegrowns before there were homegrowns, I guess. Like, when it comes to how much they don't, like, affect some of the salary cap and stuff. 
So Generation Adidas is a joint program. This is from the MLS website, by the way, uh, between MLS and Adidas that is dedicated to developing exceptional talent in a professional environment. So what they say here is that each year, a handful of top college uh, underclassmen and youth national team players are signed by the league with the majority of such players entering the league through MLS Superdraft. Um, so once they graduate from the, uh, until they graduate from the program, which is sometimes after, you know, they're on, it's usually, I think a three-year deal. It's typically what I see for generation Adidas. Um, it, they would then take up a club sub, supplemental roster spot. And, uh, you know, Andre Blake is an example that was a generation Adidas player. Now he is a, tam player i believe i think they used tam to buy him down from a dp spot for the union um so since the salaries are not charged against the mls uh, team's annual salary budget it provides the incentive for the club to then develop the player and to even it's why players are you know some of those players get drafted in the super draft is because there's really no risk, right? If it's not going to take up any salary, um, and usually these are really good players and they'll be a little younger because they could be underclassmen. Uh, they're not like the seniors. Uh, you know what? If you're drafting a senior, they're already coming out of the college at like 21. And, you know, your youth players can come in at like 16, 17. So like the college, the the draft as a whole is really becoming less and less relevant since uh, the academies have started pro uh, popping up because, you know, you can then develop the player from a as a youth product to learn your style of play instead of them going through college and then coming out at 21 and then having to learn your style of play and, it kind of, and then adjust to professional. Uh, you're able to kind of bring them through your own, and that's why the Super Draft as a whole is becoming less and less valuable but why you'll still see teams take chances on generation Adidas players is because they're usually skilled youth national team players or underclassmen. So they're coming in still before their senior year and uh, they don't take up any salary pretty much. I was going to say, because the reason why I asked was just because I was reading a lot about that Philip Mayock from Clemson and he's a center, you know, I think he's center fielder and midfielder. Um, and I know Colorado got him, so they were really excited. But that's where I was just confused. Yeah, a lot like, of people had him going is. number one to Austin, actually. Yeah, I saw that he fell the three. Yeah, because I remember I was listening to, like, Doyle on – I think it was, is that his name? Uh, the guy yeah, that Matt does Doyle. Yeah, Matt Doyle. Um, I was listening to him talk, and he was shocked that Mayaka didn't go first because of Austin's pick. But, yeah, that's where that – or not the desert, the generation Adidas question came through. All right, next one. I'm on a roll here. You are. You're getting all these correct. It's amazing, really. <laughs> um, so again, dude, like, I mean, we're in January. And it was open yet. note. It was open yeah. note. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's got to be because you're on Zoom and I can't. Con never mind. Um, yeah. So, being January and seeing how the transfer window closes, you know, this week, what what's I mean, is it the same transfer window for MLS as it is, you know, the international clubs, and then you know, how does that work? Because all the other clubs in Europe are on that same calendar, whereas MLS, they're completely different, almost by you know, bi bipolar from what 
you know, Europe's doing. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so the transfer periods from the league website in 2020 was listed as the primary transfer window as February 12th to May 5th and the secondary transfer window, July 7th to August 5th. Uh, that doesn't always, that, that's a lot of more like, almost like internal at times because they, like, we still can't, like, <clears throat> if a deal doesn't get done for Paul Ariola by Monday, he's not going to be able to go, even though, like, the MLS transfer window might be open later. Uh, it still has to abide by the transfer windows elsewhere that he's going. Um, but, like, they can bring in free players and stuff like that, you know, in these transfer windows. Where you'll see a lot of the domestic players come in, uh, not domestic players, dang, I keep doing it. Uh, it's because at work, DP means domestic partner, and then here, DP means designated player. So <laughs> I'm just putting both of them together here. Mm. Um, but uh, where you'll see a lot of the designated players come in is during the summer. That's usually where they'll come in. And that's because they will finish their league season at the big clubs and then come over in the middle. So, so a lot of, okay. So like when Seattle made their run in 2016 to win MLS cup, they were skirting, not making the playoffs. They were on a historically bad run into the summer. They fire their coach. Not long after they bring in their DP, Nicholas uh, Ladero from Argentina. And I think I forget where, what club he came from, but, Ladero came in, Schmetzer got promoted after Ziggy Schmidt got fired, and they just turned it around and you know, got into the playoffs, made the playoffs, made the final, and beat Toronto without having a shot on goal. <laughs> as amazing as that is. But um, this is uh, this is also how MLS kind of differs as well, is when these designate players come in they can really change and impact your performance summer and and it's almost like seattle's done this almost a few times i feel like where they're struggling into the summer and then they like turn it on and just make a run into the playoffs and you're like wow okay they don't even play the first half of the season for for seattle you're like they can take the first half of the season off pretty much but you'll see some of these players come in in the summer and immediately make an impact. Like Reynoso for Minnesota United. I think he came in in like September. Um, after. I think he was signed like earlier in the season and then like finally made it over in September due to the. Um, after like COVID issues for 2020. And he like immediately made an impact for Minnesota. His debut was September 2nd of 2020 and he came from Boca juniors over in Argentina and he scored, uh, you know, like one goal in the, um, in the league, but he made 13 appearances, but he was constantly creating. And let me actually try to find his MLS profile because they actually kind of break down the goals better than Wikipedia. So he had 13 games played in 2020, nine games started, one goal, seven assists. Uh, in the playoffs, he had three games, three games started, one goal, and seven assists in the postseason. 
he played a part in all eight of their goals. Uh, and that's one of those things where like a, a dozen eight player can kind of just come in and just change the, the forecast of your season. Uh, and um, it, it's amazing. It really is. Uh, and you won't see a lot of those big moves in January. You'll probably see a lot more players leave in the January window than the summer window as well. So since the season's over, that's why you're seeing Jordan Morris go to Swansea now. Uh, why you're going to maybe see Areola go to Swansea. Aaron Long might be moving. Uh, to I, I think they said some Premier League or Championship team actually did inquire on him yesterday. So uh, while the windows might say like February 12th to May 5th, that that's not like you're not getting those top players then. You're going to get them in the same usual windows that we're in, but they're mostly going to come in the summer and they're mostly going to leave in January. I was going to say that makes sense because the this summer the Premier League's over, the La Liga is over, and they're all going into those contracts ending. So they just make that switch, which is pretty. I guess it's pretty good for the MLS because they're just coming over. And well, I mean, and and then you know how does that work? Like they're just coming off this season, they go right into another. <laughs> like, uh, and some of these players, I mean, these free agents, yeah. it seems like they're ones that have fizzled out, so they're not playing. But like, what say for instance, like a Fernandinho or you know, a Messi later on in his career decides to go MLS. I mean, there's no way that he goes from like full fledged La Liga right into an MLS season. That's getting ready to go into its, you know, final stretch. No, usually they might uh, be negotiating. So like usually the European league, what stops in May. Uh, Usually these players are coming in July and August or like, you know, they have to get the, yeah, July or August. So they'll still take their like, two or three months off and then they'll come in and then they'll uh they'll go right into it almost as if they're starting the new season in europe you know which starts in august anyway but now they're just finishing an actual season somewhere else you know um so it is probably a little a little weird and difficult for them at times but if you sign them right like nicholas ladera is one of the best signings in in mls history um sebastian giovinko is another great one, even though he's no longer in the league. Um, Reynoso is up there. Got to be now, uh, you know, like, Oh, uh, Miguel Almiron is one of the best signings of all time. Joseph Martinez on Atlanta. Um, and some of them come over from Europe, uh, after their two months off start in this league and just hit the ground running. Some of them, uh, take some time to adjust. So, it's really up in the air on how it's going to be. Sometimes they need that half season to adjust. And then the next year they'll have a big year, but man, I'm telling you the quality in this league is just starting to get really, really good because since Almiron, he was like one of the top players in, in uh, South America. He comes over to Atlanta because Tata Martino, former Barcelona manager, uh, now Mexico national team manager, you know, Convinces him to come over for Atlanta. The Atlanta fans are amazing, to be honest. They they fill up that stadium more than the Falcon fans do. Um, and they just played so electric. They fit Almiron's style. Um, he left like after like right after Tata left. He left to go to Newcastle. I I don't think that was the right move in the sense of it doesn't fit his play style. Uh, though he looked pretty good today. Um. 
but when they're always threatened for relegation, he's not going to get a lot of chance to make, you know, create. Um, and, uh, some players like, uh, Barco, um, for Atlanta and, uh, Pitti Martinez were touted as big signings and they spent tons of money in Atlanta for them, but they haven't really hit the ground running. And Barco has been there a few years now. Pitti Martinez, I think is on year three. And he was signed to be the replacement for Almiron. And he hasn't lived up to it. And he was actually South American Player of the Year, I believe, right before he joined here uh, in MLS. So we're getting a lot of that pipeline because they see that we took Almiron, that he played attractive soccer, that he made a big move to Europe. And it's starting that pipeline now where these young players, maybe 19 to 22, are going to come here. They're going to play two to three years and then they're going to get flipped to Europe and they're going to hopefully be able to make that jump. And that's why you're starting to see a lot of those players from South America uh, come in here and do that is because we established that pipeline through um, Atlanta. And it's why, while yes, you would want to hold on to Almiron if you were Atlanta, you also want to sell him to create that pipeline. So that way you're hoping that you're always getting the replacement, right? You're always getting the replacement, bring him in. He does just as well. You flip him for even more money and you're getting profit, but you're also winning titles. You know, they won MLS cup in 2018. They won the open cup in 2019. Uh, you know, they, uh, they won another cup that we'll talk about in 2019 as well. So for such a young club, four years in three, I think what four, yeah, four seasons in, they've won like three cups, you know, one, MLS Cup, but uh, won other trophies as well, where you're hoping you establish that pipeline, and and that's what the league is doing. Um, we're shying away from those 35, 36-year-old Beckhams, Lampards, Gerards, uh, Zlatan, even though Zlatan was great for the league. I don't care what anybody says. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much how transfers work and what you're looking for usually when you're looking for uh, a lot of these designated players now are going to be on the younger side than just big names because you're going to be able to hopefully flip them. Like I think how much did Almiron go for? He went for like 20 some million, but I forget how much they bought him for. Let me see if I can find that. So Almiron is only 26 and he was with um, Atlanta until 2019. He played there for two years. Um, Let's see. Um, they paid eight million for Almiron in dollars, and he went to Newcastle for twenty-one million pounds, which would be even more in, in U.S. Right? Um. Yeah, it's got to be what thirty something. Uh, twenty-eight. So they made twenty million. They made twenty million on Almiron. <laughs> So that's why they want to do that because it's going to help the team. But also he plays such good, you know, he was such a good player that you're able to, okay, maybe we win, right? We're not just selling. And then when you're winning, you're selling his shirt anyway, right? It's not like you're just living off the name. Like, oh, we'll sell some Steven Gerrard shirts. Never, never mind that he's not actually good anymore by the time he gets here. But, you know, we'll just sell his shirts. Okay, but you can bring in a young player who's going to get the fan base excited Okay, without Almiron, without them playing so electric and playing well with Tata Martino, that fan base is not filling up that stadium all the time. So 
when you see a lot of these newer teams come in, they're going to try to make these signings because they want to hit the ground running um, and not become a LA Galaxy, which is almost in the having to rise back from the ashes now because of how far they've fallen since their last title win. I know I just went on a long rant there, but any other questions about transfers or do you got another one for me? No, I got another one for you. So, again, Premier League different, La Liga and all of them different. Um, how does the league work? And, you know, you've got the different cups and you've got playoffs and you've got all these things, conferences, which is really weird, um, at least for soccer. How does the league work? You know, what are what do playoffs look like? Or, you know, what kind of cups are there? Because I know, you know, like FA Cup or Carabao, uh, you know, conferences, like what does, you know, what's the seating look like for East and West? How does that all go? Yeah, so there's two conferences, almost like basketball, but there's no divisions in those conferences. I think eventually we'll get there with how many teams we're going to have, maybe. But uh, for right now, two conferences, East and West. Pretty pretty straight there. 34 games in an unbalanced schedule. So this is why. Oh, this is why we don't have the title winner be the top of the table. Uh, it's not like England where they play 38 games. They play everybody twice, home and away. Uh, also because we're American, so we have to put the playoffs in there anyway. But, uh, but. It's just not fair. So they do win a trophy. It's called the Supporter Shield. Philadelphia Union just won that for their first time. Uh, so that is the winner of the overall standing. So you'll have the table that puts both conferences together, and that's who wins Supporter Shield. And then you'll have an East Conference and a West Conference, and whoever wins those also kind of win the conference a bit. You know, they get top seed for the playoffs. Um, in 2021... Each team is going to play two games, home and away, against every team in its conference, and then one game against all but four or five of the teams in the opposite conference. I believe there was only one year with a balanced schedule. I think it was 2010. <laughs> I think it was 2010 or 2011. It was the only year with a balanced schedule. Um, uh, 14 teams qualified for MLS Cup playoffs last season. Not sure if that'll be the same this year. I couldn't really find that. But if so, it's going to be probably seven in each conference uh, getting to the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised if they actually expanded it, maybe. Uh, again, it used to be... At one point, it was five, right? But as more teams come into the league, they keep increasing it. Um, there's no promotion and relegation. That is uh, one thing that we have to kind of go over here. And it's just not feasible currently in America. And I'll give you a few reasons why, because I'm sure most people are like, I, I see this on Twitter all the time. People that put, you know, promotion relegation for USA soccer, stuff like that. It's just not feasible. One, probably the biggest reason, <laughs> ownership has bought into a closed league. Uh, it would be like them voting to, op it would take them voting to open up and then lose money if they do so, right? Because if they ever dropped, they're going to lose the TV money. They're going to lose uh, probably attendance because, you know, minor league baseball stadiums don't fill up as much as major league baseball stadiums. It would be like the MLB owners being like, you know what? Let's do promotion and relegation. And the Orioles losing even more money because they would never stay up in the MLB, MLB and falling down to 
you know, triple A, double A, single A. Those games are not on TV over here, right? You, you can't really find your single A, double A, triple A, unless they have a local deal with a, a local broadcaster. But you're not going to get the same revenue. And all the owners want revenue. And I assure you that if Europe could decide right now, they would decide a closed system. That's the whole point of the Super League they're trying to do, right? Is I think they said that how many of, if they did a Super League, like a lot of the teams would be safe from relegation for the first like five years or whatever. Uh, that is just ludicrous. Um, but that's why we don't have it here. Number two, and another big reason why you can't just say, people always say FIFA should just make MLS do it, right? Make US soccer do it is that the second and lower divisions are not strong enough to handle it. So number one, the USL championship is getting stronger. That's tier two. It is getting stronger, but we still have issues with this. And uh, and sometimes still these USL teams go bust, just completely broke and bust. And in fact, I believe just last year, um, we we lost at the end of 2020. Uh, we lost Reno 1868 FC, who was in the USL Championship, and they closed down in November 6 of 2020 due to COVID costs and issues like that. This was a team that was good too. This is a team that like <laughs> made it to the conference semifinals two out of their four years in existence and made it to the conference quarterfinals two out of the other four years of their existence. And they just couldn't survive. And this is our second tier. The stadiums are not good enough for second tier. Um, If an MLS team was to fall from MLS to USL championship, they would probably go broke Really quick, there's there's not a big TV deal for USL Championship. It's on ESPN Plus, yes, but I think it wasn't that long ago that they were actually paying ESPN to put their games on. You know, like so, it, it, there's not like anything that would sustain them. The ticket receipts are not as big uh, for them. The USA would lose more teams and would be back in a situation similar to the NASL in the 70s and 80s, and we would lose our top flight really quickly. Um, that's why there's a closed league. So let's say Hartford Athletic or Forward Madison, who are in the lower tiers, jump up a league or two. They, we would be playing in stadiums that are the equivalent to college soccer fields if they went there. Um, having like 2,000 seats while you're playing against like LAFC who have like 30,000 seats. You know, like that is where it's just not up to par yet. Um, England and some of these other leagues have had their other divisions be around for hundreds of years that they're ready. For, I mean, how many teams are in London? You can't have that here yet. Maybe eventually, probably not in our lifetimes, but I do think if that was to ever happen, it would be maybe MLS expands to 40 and we do a MLS one MLS two promotion relegation, but I'm just not sure on that. Uh, you asked about cups, right? As well. Yeah. Cups. Um, like, you know, cause I, I mean, 
I saw the U.S. Open Cup, obviously, because I was looking through that, and we've talked about it with my ticket season or the the representative that I got. Um, just talking about that, and, and you know, what kind of is there preseason? I mean, what kind of cups are there? Are they big competitions? Are they ones that like they take seriously, or are they ones more of like the Premier League where they're you know half of them take it seriously, half of them are like. Eh. So it's kind of like that. It's kind of like the latter. Um, U.S. Open Cup. This is the equivalent to the FA Cup, okay? And due to COVID, it was actually not played in 2020, and it would have been the 107th consecutive U.S. Open Cup dating back to 1914. And it is actually the oldest cup competition soccer-wise in USA. So I I take it very seriously. Uh, Some fans are so casual that they only know about the league, and you'll see, like, U.S. Open Cup games don't get the uh, as much attendance and such. And maybe even if you ask somebody, like if you're at your season ticket, Logan, and you ask somebody like, hey, are you coming to the Open Cup game this Tuesday? They may not even know what you're talking about. Part of the reason Fair is, enough. part of the reason is uh, it's not that much exposure. The second reason is there's not been a big TV deal for it. Sometimes you only, before we used to only get the final on TV and sometimes that would be on gold TV, which I think is defunct now, but that was like a channel. Nobody had. Okay. That's where the Bundesliga used to be on it as well. So I used to never be able to watch Bundesliga. Um, I love going to the open cup. I've gone to so many open cup games. I went to uh, so there's a place called Maryland soccer plex, which is where DC played a lot of their open cup matches before. And it's it's literally like going to see like a college or lower level. Um, they do have all these facilities and stuff, but it's like maybe 3,000 seats. Um, and the reason why DC would play there is because the operation costs were a lot less than having to do use RFK before they had their new stadium. But I went there with my dad and because uh, a lot of times, I feel like it was pretty frequently, or at least maybe once or twice, that the union would draw DC United. And we went down there for one of those. So uh, I, I went, you know, as a union fan, he went as a DC fan and it went to like penalty shootouts and the union lost. But, uh, and our coach got a red card. That was like 2010 or 2011, somewhere around there. Um, but it's a lot of fun because, uh, and we went there. Uh, there was a year where Christos FC, which has now been absorbed into like a Baltimore and they're like fourth or fifth tier of U.S. soccer. And uh, they beat, uh, they made a run to where they played up against D.C. United. And my friend Dave and I in 2017 went to go watch the game because we were like, oh, this is D.C. versus a Baltimore low level team. Like, this is awesome. We'll go see it. We left, you know, he picked me up from work and I went straight there. We got there. They even took the lead against D.C. And then D.C. put like three or four past them to win the game. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, then like right after that, another year, DC drew Orlando. And I was like, oh, I want to go see Orlando. So I went with my dad to go see DC versus Orlando. It poured, absolutely poured five minutes into the game, right? And then had lightning. So they had to postpone, they had to delay it. And we sat in our car for like, an hour and a half to two hours and then went back and watched the rest of the game. 
And while they were warming up, there was a player, uh, Patrick Mullins. He's kind of like a league journeyman, been jumping around from team to team. Um, but he's from University of Maryland is where he played. And I've watched him since University of Maryland days. And uh, he was like practicing right near us. And you're so close to the field that like I was able to talk to him. And he was like, thank you guys for sticking around. And he was on Orlando at the time. He was like, thank you guys for sticking around and, you know, um, you know, being here and hanging out with us or whatever. And I was like, no, he may have been on DC. Actually, I'm not sure. He's been on both, I think. But I was like, oh, yeah, no. And we were talking to him a little bit. And then uh, they started playing the game again. Orlando won. And then they got drew. They drew with Philadelphia. So then I went and saw the next game up in Philly for Philly and, and Orlando. And um, I just love going to open cup games. Like I said, I've been the two finals. Philadelphia packs those things in for finals. Like it was great experiences. And you're thinking, well, we're going to see a team win a trophy. And uh, we didn't. I mean, we saw a team win it, but not our team. Um, but it is a great tournament and I love watching it. I wish more people knew about it because it is a lot of fun. Um, before we move on to the other tournaments, any questions about U.S. Open Cup? No, it sounds like FA. So that, I love FA yeah. too. Like I, I love, I love when the really, really small clubs get to play the big clubs, and just because it's fun to watch the big club or the small clubs just try to put up a fight against them, and and a lot of times they play them decently, like I, a lot better than I think some people would think they would play. But yeah, that that sounds awesome. So that I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna go to a couple of those. Yeah, and it's uh, it gets you a Champions League spot too for Concacaf Champions League. So that's why I take it seriously. Um, and it's a trophy, right? And and as the Union, who only won their first trophy now, and we're in three finals of the Open Cup, it was kind of frustrating that I just wanted to win, you know, a trophy. Um, talking about Champions League. So there is the CONCACAF Champions League, which is the equivalent to the UEFA Champions League. It's not as prestigious, obviously. Uh, how to qualify. So four U.S.-based MLS teams can qualify through these means. Supporter Shield. The other conference winner that did not win Supporter Shield. <clears throat> so um, if this was a normal year, Philadelphia Union qualify through Supporter Shield. The team that won the other conference since they're in the East would be the top West team would then automatically qualify for the Champions League. Not for 2020, though. For 2020, they granted that spot to the MLS's back champion, which is the Portland Timbers. Um, you also can qualify if you win MLS Cup. Or, like I just said, U.S. Open Cup winners. Um, since there was no U.S. Open Cup in 2020, instead of giving it to another league winner, they decided to just grant Atlanta, who won it in 2019, to play again in 2020, which is kind of weird. But uh, a lot of people were pissed about that. Then one Canadian team can qualify as well, and it can be a Canadian MLS team. So the, there's a Canadian championship, which is a small cup tournament that they have that's kind of like their open cup i guess and the winner of that gets in to the CONCACAF champions league so it could be like vancouver toronto montreal or if there's an upset it could technically be a, a lower canadian team making it in um if a canadian team wins mls cup they do not qualify 
by winning MLS Cup. It has to be a U.S. team, so then it would go to somebody else, like another team lower in the standings. There is a another cup called the Campeones Cup, Champions Cup, right, in uh, Spanish. And it's the winner of MLS Cup versus the champion of the champions of Liga Mekis, Liga MX. It's brand new, created in 2018. And in 2018, it was Toronto versus Tigres. Tigres won. 2019, it was Atlanta versus Club America, and Atlanta won. In 2020, it was canceled because of COVID. In 2021, it's Columbus facing off against, we don't really know yet, uh, Liga MX has to finish their schedule. Um, That's probably going to be played in the summer. That's usually when it is. So it's kind of like a mix of the Super Cup for UEFA, but it being only for two associations, right? MLS or Mexico is the only teams competing in it. But it's only one game. And then we have the League's Cup, which is pretty new as well. It debuted in 2019. And it's an annual soccer competition between clubs from Major League Soccer and Liga MX in North America. Um, In 2019, it debuted with four teams participating. And I don't believe there was a qualification for that. It was just like four random teams that wanted to play. And in 2020, it would have featured 16 teams, eight from each league. And the MLS participants would have been drawn from the top four teams in each conference uh, that did not qualify for the Champions League. So almost like qualifying for Europa League through Europe. Um, And the Liga MX participants would have included the 2019 Apertura champion, the 2020 Clausura champion, and the 2019-2020 Copa MX champion. And then the next best placed teams in the league. Uh, The way... What Apertura and Clausura is for Mexico is that they split their season up into two seasons, pretty much. So you have like the first half winner and the second half winner. And the Union were meant to play in this cup, and I was going to go in July and watch them play against a Mexican team. I forget who it was, Uh, but then COVID happened. And that's pretty much all the cups. I mean, if you win the CONCACAF Champions League, you qualify for the FIFA Club World Cup. I was going to say there's like, I remember listening because I was listening to Garber talk, uh, the commissioner, and he was talking about how their relationship, because they asked, I think they asked him like, uh, you know, what, what are the chances that one of the League of Max clubs um, or, you know, a couple of these clubs end up playing with the MLS? Um, and I know that he was talking about yeah. different things that, you know, he's talked to. Um, I think it's Ariel, who's the president down there um, of, the, of their uh, league. And they were talking about how, you know, they've got a good relationship, but what they have right now works pretty well. Um, and that there's always, you know, room for improvement with their re- relationship, but they always talk about these different competitions and how well it does for both of them. Yeah, there's been tons of rumors, mostly coming from the Mexico side, saying that they want to combine the league with MLS. Which might be good for MLS in the sense of like Liga MX is actually the most watched soccer league in America, but um, just uh, MLS is kind of on its role on its own thing, and there's no salary cap for the Mexican teams, so they would have to come in and I guess abide by that, or we'd have to abolish it. You know, it kind of gets messy 
there. Not Leon, not Lionel Messi, but just Messi. <laughs> uh, and let's take a short break before we continue on with the questions. We'll be right back. Uh, listen to this sweet promo that was made for us. The Stateside Soccer Show. Talking the beautiful game in the land of the free. Breaking down Major League Soccer, U.S. Men's National Team, and more with Logan and Jordan. And we are back from our short little break there. Uh, Hit me with another one, Logan. So all of this hype. Uh, especially because I run the Instagram some uh, on our side uh, with stateside. Uh, I, we've been obviously interested in Austin being an expansion team. Orlando was at one time. Uh, what, you know, what's, what's the hype around some of these? What What's the buzz? Are there any of them that are creating more buzz than other? And then, you know, over the past couple of years, which ones have really stepped into form and, and become one of the better teams that expanded into the MLS? So uh, this year, only one Austin FC, but they're looking to be a really well-built roster by Claudio Reyna, you know, Giovanni Reyna's father, former NYCFC um, general manager, operation of football, whatever they call it over there. Um, Overall recent expansion sides that have gotten people buzzed and excited. Atlanta United, we kind of talked about that. They were expansion team in 2017. They won MLS Cup in 2018, U.S. Open Cup in 2019, and the Campionas Cup in 2019. You know, in two short years, they had, um, you know, won three trophies. Um, they fired Frank DeBoer, and they've hired somebody that's very similar. I think that they're trying to fit back to going back to, like, the Tata Martino style of play. That's going to hopefully make them a better team going forward because I do like watching them uh, play, uh, you know, like when, like, geez, when I was, when, when they were good, when they had Tata Martino and they're making that MLS cup run and stuff, I would, if they were playing, I would be watching their game. You know, if they weren't playing at the same time, the union were, I'd be watching them because it was just so exciting. Just such good uh, soccer being played. I would say Minnesota United started off kind of rough, but they've built a solid squad now. They had a good run in MLS's back. They had a good run in MLS Cup playoffs, and they have Reynoso now. Uh, I think that they have a very solid squad, um, and I think that they should be – this is a year they should really push for trophies. They've made a uh, U.S. Open Cup final. They went pretty decently in MLS's back. They had a lead against uh, Seattle, and Seattle came back, and one of the best – MLS playoff games of all time. Um, this should be uh, this should be a good season for them. Hopefully, I I do like seeing them succeed. Their kits are awesome. I think it's good having a presence in the Midwest or the mid the what what would that actually be? That'd be kind of like the central, the, the upper central. Yeah. I don't know Minnesota, like you know, kind of near yeah. that Wisconsin. Yeah, I guess it's uh, still Midwest area. technically. LAFC, recent expansion side, was it 2017, I think, as well? Yeah, I think they entered the, well, no, that would have been, that was United and Atlanta. LAFC was 2018, I think. Um, one of the best teams in the league, coached by Bob Bradley, the former U.S. men's national team manager, former Swansea manager, 
Um, he, he, he coached the Chicago fire, uh, in 1998 when they made their, when they won MLS cup in their expansion season. So he already, that was a good get for LAFC for one. He has coached the national team after that, but also he had worked with an expansion team before in 1998. While yes, the league has changed a lot. He's very familiar with USA soccer. He's a great get. Usually you would see that type of team maybe go get like a European manager. Um, but it was awesome seeing Bob there. They won the supporter shield already in like, what year was that? 2019 maybe? I, I got to get my year straight for LAFC. Um, but just, and this team has a huge ownership too. You know, they, they got like Magic Johnson, I think. They got uh, Will Farrell. You know, they have like former soccer players in their management team. Just absolutely. Uh, let me see who else I have here. Um, like Mia Hamm, Nomar Garcia Parra. Uh, just a huge bunch of uh, big names in their management team. Uh, when we look at their history here, they made the CONCACAF Champions League final this year. They lost. And they had a lead, and I was so pissed. Uh, then we had the Supporter Shield in 2019. Yes, is what they is what they won there. So that was a year after. Yeah, I think it was a year after their uh, their intro into the league. They win a trophy. You know, it's like, and and they have big names: Carlos Vela, uh, Mexican team national player, coming into coming into it. It's just really great talent. They're kind of basing it off of the Atlanta model of bringing in young players that they're going to flip, like Diego Rossi, that they're trying to probably flip. Um, And Nashville, I put in here because of their performance in the MLS Cup playoffs. I'm not sure if it'll last, but they did so well. They made some upsets. And I think, uh, you know, they had a good start last year in a pandemic-ridden season. And I think that they can make a jump. Inter-Miami was awful last year. Now they've added, you know, Gonzalo Higuain. Um, They brought in Phil Neville as their coach. I'm not sure how that's going to work. But I guess there might be some excitement there since Beckham is taking a more hands-on approach for uh, management. Tell my FIFA 21 that Miami's awful. I dare you. (laughs) (laughs) They had a record for like the worst start of an expansion side in the first five games. Oh, that's no good. Yeah. Good lord. Disaster. Most most you know, most Miami teams have disastrous uh, sports teams, so that would be fitting. Yeah, that's true. Except for the heat, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they've had a really bad year now since they made the finals last year. But I don't know, maybe it's the water down there. So I guess my next question you know, leading into, you know, you got the brand new teams. What about like historical teams? Are there like any, you know, big teams that are Giants, you know, like the the Barcelonas, like the Real Madrids, like the Chelsea's. I mean, are there big clubs like the United? Yeah, there's some big clubs, not to that scale. Uh, with the way that the league structured, there's a lot more parity, so you don't get a runaway winner like La Liga usually is, um, or like the Bundesliga is usually right now with with Munich winning every year. Um, Los Angeles Galaxy is the biggest. Um, They've won a Continental Cup, the 2000 CONCACAF Champions Cup, 
which is the precursor to the Champions League. So it does upset me when people say that an MLS team has never won the Champions League because it only became the Champions League in 2008. Um, so, I mean, you didn't have a London team win the Champions League, you know, until 2012. So, I mean, I know that's, you know, we they had English teams win it. But, uh, you know, 2000, they won the Champions Cup. Uh, they have five MLS Cups. Um, man, I wrote this down wrong. I put 2020 on here. Uh, 2000, uh, I think it's 2002. No, yeah, 2002, uh, 2005, 2011, 2012, 2014. Four supporter shields, 98, 2002, 2010, 2011, and two Open Cups, 2001, 2005. A lot of that was under Bruce Arena when he was manager. Um, so they have the most MLS Cups in history for a while though they were behind dc united dc united has one continental cup as well the 1990 uh, uh no two continental cups sorry the 1998 copa interamericana which went defunct right after and it was an annual club competition organized by Concacaf and conable in south america and it went on from 69 to 98 and then they also won the 1998 Concacaf champions cup which again was that ccl precursor they have four mls cups 96 97 99 and 2004 that's right they won the first two mls cups took a year off when chicago won mls cup and then came back and won it in 99 they have four supporter shields 97 99 06 and 2007 and they have three open cups 1996 2008 and their most recent one of 2013 um Kansas City, Sporting Kansas City, used to be called Kansas City Wizards. They have two MLS Cups, which was 2000 and 2013. Funny, you actually watched this MLS Cup final with me, (laughs) 2013, when we lived in Chatham. Did I really? Oh, yeah, Yeah. I did. Yeah, I did. You were on the couch. I don't know if you were really paying attention, but you you had it on. We had it on. I do remember that, yeah. Um, one supporter shield for Kansas City, which was 2000. And the reason why I put them in here is four Open Cups, 2004, 2012, 2015, 2017. This is mostly under Peter Vermees, which is their managers now. Really, they built a squad. Like I said, look, Open Cup 2012, 2013 MLS Cup, 2015 Open Cup. That was against the Union, I think. Yeah. And then 2017 Open Cup. So they had a string there of, what, one, two, three, four, four trophies in a span of five years. Pretty big deal. Um, They're constantly in that top, you know, like four spots on the West usually. And then Seattle Sounders, I had to put on here as well. They really could have become the first dynasty since L.A. if they would have won MLS Cup this year because they would have won three MLS Cups in the span of five years. Um they have two MLS Cups, 2016, 2019. They have one Supporter Shield in 2014. And they have four Open Cups, 2009, 2010, 2011, and 2014. They actually had, uh, they entered the league in 09. So they actually won three straight Open Cups when they entered the league. And it was because they took it seriously. They took it seriously and they played well um, to kind of establish that they're in this for trophies. And, you know, They've they've won quite a few, and like I said, they've made MLS Cup um, 
this year as well in 2020. So uh, they, they could have won it again. I was going to say, I remember, like, I remember when we played FIFA, my brother and I, I can remember that the Sounders were, like, the team. I can remember, <laughs> like, because I think Dempsey was there, so we just, just you know, that's, yeah, that's where yeah, we was. gravitated towards. Um, and we were like, you know what, that that's that's fitting because he's there. Um, and then I remember we used to just dominate on FIFA because it was, I mean, they were so good then um, that they were tough to compete against. They really were. It was really a shame that they didn't win MLS Cup in those years even because 2014, you know, they had uh, the Supporter Shield and Open Cup and that's when they had like Dempsey and Obafemi Martins, which was another player that teamed up well with him. It's just good. They were fun to watch. Um, most other teams, you know, if they have two cups, it's like San Jose, two cups a long time ago, Houston, two cups in like 06 and 07. And a lot of teams with one. But uh, next question. So going on that, uh, obviously there's fan bases around. Um, maybe ones that we don't want, we don't want to like, or maybe ones that we do like, and they're just good supporters. Which ones have the best fans? And then you know what what teams have a big following, and what ones? Is there really a team out there that that you know kind of like the Yankees or kind of like the Manchester Uniteds uh, of the league, or are they all just? pretty good there's about just being loyal fans so if you're on reddit or twitter you'll see a lot of people hate seattle and atlanta fans uh seattle fans because they always make the joke that like you know they were always seen as like the best supporters in the league until atlanta came in and that a lot of people did not like that because they thought that uh like that seattle fans thought they created MLS or soccer or whatever, which is not true. I've, I've never had bad experiences with Seattle fans. And in fact, I'm, I, I love watching them play. Like I said, I, I started watching MLS probably 2007, like I said, with MLS cup and stuff like that. But 2009, they entered the league and I started playing with them on FIFA. Uh, Cause they had the Xbox logo on and I love the green and blue colors. And uh, they really got me more into MLS watching them play. Cause they were even exciting back then. They were just, great to watch and i i always like you know if the union get knocked out i'm always like you know i won't be mad if seattle win you know maybe if seattle wins six in a row then i'll be like all right time for somebody else but you know especially when they had jordan morris and clint dempsey for a bit you know like those players i'm like i like seeing those players succeed so that was always um and they just great fans. They fill up that stadium in, which is, you know, the Seattle stadium for Seahawks uh, used to be century link, whatever it's called now. Uh, Portland Timbers. I put up here as well. They have great rivalry with Seattle. They have, you know, Timber, Joey cutting logs when they score, the fans are really into it. They make great TIFOs that they put up. It's just great for, especially for a city that doesn't have a lot of sports teams. It's just great to see Portland rally around. Uh, the Timbers. Atlanta's up here because, man, they, they like I said, they fill up that thing more than Falcons do. Um, they're a little entitled, I guess, because of how well they started off. But look, I doubted Atlanta a lot. I remember in 2015, I was at Disney and they announced Atlanta's getting a team. And I was like, why Atlanta? Like, there's other teams. like we, Back then, they were kind of going around and getting all these like USL teams for a bit. 
like uh, like Seattle, like Portland, like Vancouver. And you're like, there's so many, like Sacramento, which is coming into the league now, actually. They're, they're finally getting a team. But they were a team that like constantly was selling out as a USL team or lower. And you're like, they deserve it. Like they deserve it for how well they're supporting that team. And they're already an established team. Let's just bring them in. And I was upset that Atlanta was getting it because I was like, the South, they don't like watching soccer. And let me tell you, they have just blown me away. And I, again, a large part of that is with their coach and their management style and their play style and their players that they've brought in. But they've bought in, you know, and I think that shows that this league and this sport can really do well in areas that we originally didn't think were possible. Um, LAFC is probably up there as well, just for, um, you know, uh, th- th- since they're in the middle of LA instead of Carson, like Galaxy are, people can make it to those LAFC games easier than driving in traffic to Carson City. So uh, I think uh, LAFC, they- they've always shown up. They're They're great fans as well. So now I think I think going through my questions, I think you answered at least you've answered all of them except uh, one. Maybe I think there's one on here that well, no, two. Sorry, there's two more on here that didn't really get answered. And the other ones, the other ones you've kind of answered just you know through passing through transfers and stuff like that. So you know, talking about the players of the league, uh, what is this the 26th year of MLS? Yes, I think so. The 26th year of MLS. When you look back on time, and, and you know, I don't know if you remember watching all these guys play, or some of them were beyond your time. What, what, like when you're thinking about legends of MLS, who you who you bringing up in that conversation? Um, there's a lot. Uh, now, for me, number one is you know the greatest U.S. men's player of all time, and that's Landon Donovan. Um, the MVP award is named after him. He played almost all of his career over in MLS. He had the record of goals before Wondolowski broke it. And he came out of retirement like twice even. Um, you have, he's won two MLS Cups with San Jose in 2001 and 2003. He won four MLS Cups with Galaxy in 5, 11, 12, and 14. He won two supporter shields with Galaxy in 10 and 11. And he has an Open Cup win from 2005 as well. Really the most decorated player. Uh, It was very important he stayed in MLS. I know a lot of people wanted him to do better in Europe and go over there. Having the biggest name in U.S. soccer playing in this league was was huge. It's actually it would be like Pulisic coming over here now, or you know McKenney or Reyna, I guess. Uh, Clint Dempsey. He didn't have a lot of years here, but I put him up here just because of his U.S. men's history and you know how well he was on those revs and Seattle teams when they were good. Um, Carlos Valderrama, he played for three teams, the Tampa Bay Mutiny, Miami Fusion, and Colorado Rapids. If those names don't sound familiar, it's because those are folded franchises, Tampa Bay Mutiny and Miami Fusion. And in fact, the league almost went completely broke and, and out of it in like early 2000. So we're very lucky to have this league still. Um, And he's still the MLS record holder for single season assists. So that's how good Valderrama was. Nicholas Romando, goalkeeper, he's retired now, but 
You know, he played for the Miami Fusion for a year. He played for D.C. for four years and Real Salt Lake for 12. And he is one of like the best stops, uh, shot stoppers in the league. Really great at saving penalties. Two-time MLS Cup winner. Three-time MLS Save of the Year winner. He holds the record for career wins, shutouts, saves, and overall appearances. And he stopped a penalty shootout against the Galaxy in 2009, back when Beckham and the team first made the cup that helped Real Salt Lake win their first ever MLS Cup. I remember watching that final, and it was amazing. Uh, Marco Echeverri used to play for the DC United 1996 to 2003 midfielder, three-time MLS Cup winner, 1998 MLS MVP, four-time MLS Best 11, two-time MLS Goal of the Year winner. Part of that DC team that was just dominant under Bruce Arena in the early 90s. I mean, late 90s, um, early parts of the year, the league. I mean, uh, Dwayne D. Rosario, Canadian midfielder slash forward. He was all around. He played for the Earthquakes, the Dynamo, uh, Toronto FC, New York Red Bulls, DC United, four-time MLS Cup winner, 2011 MLS MVP and Golden Boot winner, six-time MLS Best 11, two-time MLS Goal of the Year award winner. Uh, he include he won the golden goal to win 2001 MLS Cup. That's how they used to finish, you know, golden goal. First one to score. If it went extra time. Robbie Keane, uh, forward, one of the uh, designated players for LA during that Beckham, Landon, Donovan stretch where he won MLS Cup with them three times. He was the 2014 MLS MVP, four-time MLS Best 11 uh, he was kind of like that final piece that the Galaxy needed that won them those three MLS Cups in that four-year span. Uh, Chris Wondolowski, uh, forward, still playing. He's actually one of the only players, I think, on my list here that is still playing. It's his last year. Uh, kind of a late bloomer uh, where he kind of got bounced around a bit. And then from like 2009 onward is where he scored most of his goals. And he is now the all-time leading goal scorer, 2012 MLS MVP, three-time MLS Best 11, two-time Golden Boot winner, two-time MLS Cup winner. Um, there you go. Uh, and uh, he, he, there you go. This is from the website, I think. Wando solidified his legendary status by joining the Earthquake supporters while serving a red card sub sub suspension in, uh, I think, 2019. Uh, Jaime I remember Marino. seeing that on ESPN. <laughs> yeah, like I can remember seeing that the game. Actually, you know what? I think so. I want to say that for some reason was that that game was probably on Fox Sports. I'm pretty sure. I, I, I want to say I watched part of it when they said that he was up there <laughs> watching uh, the game. I, I'm pretty sure I turned it on. Like I, I can remember that vividly, like watching Fox Sports, and he was sitting up in this like supporters section. Yeah, it was really uh, just a great moment. And the last name I have here is Jaime Marino. He was DC United and Metro Stars. That's the Red Bulls before they changed their name. Uh, Four-time MLS Cup winner, five-time MLS Best 11. He's fourth all-time in goal scored, six all-times in assists. And he was the first one to hit 100 goals and 100 assists in his career. Landon Donovan is the only other MLS player that has more than 100 goals and more than 100 assists. Gosh, and to think that uh, don't aren't you planning on it when you have a kid or if you have a kid 
to, to name him Landon? Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> if I have a son. That's so cool. Landon is his name. <laughs> oh gosh what is landon doing now is he is he broadcasting or what he is, is he? coaching san diego loyal in the usl championship uh, okay. do you think he ever makes the move up to the the mls maybe uh yeah. he was trying to get san diego to actually get an mls team because that's where he's from is san diego so that's kind of uh he wants to shocks get me they don't team there yeah, it kind of shocks me. They don't. I mean, I guess they get really bad fans turnout, out, which is why all those teams are moving away from San Diego and going to Vegas or something like that. Like, right. I, do they have plans to bring a team to Vegas? It seems like a lot of teams and leagues are going that direction. It's been talked about. It, just nothing substantial has really come up from there yet. Um, no, like, ownership group that I'm aware of has really been, like, pushing for there like 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 i said we kind of got we just got charlotte coming up now we got sacramento um who's the other uh, st louis those were teams that were all rumored for years and years and years and they finally got their teams so i guess it all depends on where they actually stop expansion all right so one last question um so i know that i know that you love the MLS and you you're much more of an avid fan of MLS. What makes you, what makes you love the MLS more than any league that you watch or, you know, especially since premier league, since we do stoppage time, what, what makes you, what makes you keen to MLS and why should people watch the MLS? Yeah, I think there's a multitude of reasons. Uh, Number one is that I support local soccer here. I volunteered at the Baltimore Bohemians in 2012 that was like a fourth tier, fifth tier USA team that's folded now, I guess. Um, but I volunteered there, sold shirts, sold tickets, helped set up the field if I needed to, you know. Um, and that was part of my duty then, too, was to support my local team. And um, I, I feel like it is important because I think it affects the U.S. men's team as well. You know, if, if no, if nobody watched MLS and if they only watched Europe, you're not going to get these academies set up in MLS. That's going to then churn out the talent that goes to Europe. Uh, you know, even McKenney, while he wasn't on MLS, he was in the Dallas system at some point. Um, you know, all, all of these players that are starting to make the jump now have come through the youth system. Um, and, and it's huge. And it's, um, I, I really think that, you know, I, I'm somebody that, you know, supports all my local teams. I, you know, like uh, the Orioles, the Ravens, the, you know, Wizards are like the closest one to me there. Um, Philadelphia Union. Because it's it's important to make sure that these leagues survive. And also, I can actually go to games, you know. When am I going to get to England to go watch Chelsea play? Um, also, if you're a U.S. fan, like if you're a U.S. soccer fan, in America here and you like the premier league and you're like a Sunderland, Newcastle fan, whatever one, the quality of some of those lower tier games are just not as good as MLS anyway. Like if you watch Sunderland when they were in the premier league against like, you know, like Newcastle, you're like, okay, nobody's going to score in this match, but also (laughs) Why are you a fan of them? You know, like, I'm sure there's some sort of tie, but realistically, 
you don't have the chance to ever see them actually win anything. You know, it was a miracle when Leicester won the uh, Premier League. And it's usually going to United, City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal. That's it. You got five teams that have a shot. Every team in this league has a shot in MLS to win. Um, and, and like I said, there's no chance for Newcastle to win anything right now unless they get bought out by billionaires. And here, at least, you can bring in players. The union won a supporter shield by pretty much just bringing in the youth. Um, Atlanta won theirs by bringing in experienced MLS players and bringing in uh, you know, some of those South American young players. There's multiple ways to build a team here. And uh, I think everybody can probably tell from the way I've talked about MLS this whole time here is I'm very passionate about this league. It wasn't always my favorite. You know, I originally thought the Premier League was my favorite, but as it continues to grow and as I continue to be able to watch games in prime time, go to games, see these players play live, um, and just enjoy watching soccer in my backyard. This league has just really won me over, and it's something that I enjoy being a fan of, and I feel a connection to this. Like I said, when I was able to just walk up to Jimmy Conrad and meet him, you know, when I was able to go to drafts and walk past, like, Taylor Twelman or Alexi Lalas on the steps, and, you know, it, it's just something that feels more personal. I feel more of a connection now. I was talking to you about it the other day that while I'm a Chelsea fan, I don't feel that connection that I used to feel anymore. Um, but I feel that with the union, I don't feel it as strongly as if the union were a Baltimore team, obviously, but I've watched them since 2010. I've gotten to see these players come up through the youth system. I've gotten to see these players. Every time I go up to watch a match, I get to watch them on my TV now that their games are always on ESPN+. Plus. Before that, I used to have to buy MLS Live, which is like an NBA TV thing or, you know, like whatever you have, the League Pass. Um, I used to have to do that, you know, to watch these games. And you sometimes they didn't have an app on the TV, so I have to plug it into my laptop. You know, like I, it, it's just the growth that this league has seen since then has been phenomenal. I can watch uh, any game. I love watching all these games. And uh, I, hell, I even like watching USL games. I, you know, the USL playoffs that were on before they got canceled due to players having COVID. Uh, I liked watching those too. It's just American soccer is unique and it's fun. Anybody can win. I was going to say, listening, listen to you talk about it and, and, you know, list, you know, watching MLS is back and then watching some of the MLS playoffs um and watching you know Orlando City play uh the revolution and stuff it just the the fans here I think are more into it now so that makes it more fun I know listening to the game that was in Orlando I know that the drums kind of were going crazy in my ears some but um it's not, I sound so old when I say that now uh but <laughs> again it, it you know, watching these fans and and like what you said, it seems like it's on the ground level still, even though it's 26 years old. I mean, hell, we're both older than the league itself. So, right. you know, Barely. looking at it and then listening to you talk about it, um, you know, the fact that I got season tickets, the fact that I can now live that same kind of passion, like you said, supporting a local team, which I've never been able to do, which is so much fun for me and my mind. It's always something that I've always wanted to do. So it's, and I think that's why I was so eager to want to 
to want to buy a ticket just to experience what's it like to get home from work or, you know, go from work to the stadium or just kind of hang out and get the different things done that I can see the different things that I can see at the games and stuff and go through the trials and hardships of something because baseball is going to suck. Um, but again, I think it's, it's so exciting to just get to talk to you about it and then get, to, you know, live vicariously through you for the last year or so as you watch the union win the supporters uh, shield. So that's, you know, that's something that I think that a lot of us fans that are getting into it now, uh, I think it's huge for U.S. soccer. And I know we've talked a lot more about U.S. soccer together than we have MLS, but that'll change as the, the season progresses. But I think that's what has me excited. I think just the growth opportunity the MLS seems to have. Because um, I look at like all these teams, all these players, and they've got like 4,000 followers or they've got like 16,000 followers on Twitter. Right. And then you look at like City and it's got like, five million or 10 million or something crazy um it's insane that how how this league when you might look at this you know when we're 45 50 and you look at this league and go man do you remember when this was just like a it's basically like a a groupies league like it's just like a a small following like one of those folk bands that plays at one of the big concerts it's just it's nuts and it's gonna be fun to watch yeah i i hope that uh you know Another good thing about it too is you get to know some of these U.S. men's team players, you know, when they're young and and kind of it's almost like scouting for that as well. It's like, oh, this person'd be good for that, uh, you know, for the league or you know, oh, I, it's like you're seeing your child grow up. You know, they come through the youth system, they play in here, then they go overseas and they tear it up over there, and you're like just so proud of them. Uh, how I feel with Brendan Aronson right now, and. Uh, I'm looking forward to this season. Hopefully the CBA stuff gets done with, um, again, I don't know when I'm putting this up, but I'm probably just going to throw it up now. Who cares? But, (laughs) um, hopefully we get some news on that. That's supposed to be by February 4th. And then if the league locks the players out, uh, I still think they're going to get a season in. I think if it starts late April, May, I think it'll still happen. But, uh, man, I'm just really excited to be able to talk with this about somebody, uh, you know, to somebody and uh, can't wait to get this thing on the road. And uh, if you want to follow us along on this journey, you can reach us on Twitter, Stateside Show, Instagram, Stateside Show, Facebook.com slash Stateside Show, or email us, StatesideShow at gmail.com. All of that information is also in the show notes. Or our main show, the Stoppage Time Soccer Show, uh, stoppage show on twitter um facebook.com slash stoppage time soccer show email stoppage time show at gmail.com or instagram stoppage time soccer show thank you everybody for listening if you have more mls questions send them through like we said we we have a while until the season starts so if i do put this up now uh, if you have more questions send them our way we could do another you know a few question rounds or throw it in with a normal podcast doesn't matter but I hope everybody appreciated this. I hope I was able to teach you stuff. And uh, like I said, can't wait till the season starts. Tomorrow, throwing his body in. It's going to fall for Ibrahimovic. Oh, come on. Come on. Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the U.S. men's national team, Americans abroad, 
MLS, USL. This is Stateside Soccer Show presented by Stoppage Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.